0: Please do be seated. Allow me to add my welcome uh, to that of the Dean earlier. It's lovely to have you all with us uh, this Palm Sunday evening. Today I will be mostly uh, preaching from the Old Testament reading, which was the Isaiah 50 lectionary reading. Um, now I'm going to preach a couple more of verses than was read And so I printed them all in the very middle of your bulletin. So if you have your bulletin, open it to the very, very middle, and you'll see uh, see an outline headed, Isaiah 50, the determined disciple. And everything you need is there. If you open that up, let's start with prayer. Almighty, merciful and loving God, we pray this evening that you would open our ears, that we would be taught, that you might make tender our hearts to hear and grant us this day the blessing of your life-giving word. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, in today's readings, we meet Jesus, now reaching the very end of his earthly ministry as he enters into Jerusalem. The crowds around him are shouting, Hosanna, the palms are being raised. And cloaks are being laid out fit for a king. It seems so glorious, so victorious. But Jesus knows better. For like a sheep walking into a wolf's den, he knows well that he is riding to his very own death. Don't let the crowds distract you. Jesus is not here to claim a crown, but a cross. No coronation awaits but the pain and the shame of a bloody crucifixion. But yet he is still here. Still perfectly, lovingly, faithfully obedient to God his Father. Dead set, determined to complete his mission despite what it will cost. Just in fact as it was prophesied of him by Isaiah some 700 years earlier. And in fact, this is the prophecy on which we will dwell today. Isaiah chapter 50. We are now in a part of Isaiah in which the prophet speaks of events which will happen beyond his own lifetime. He's giving God's promises to a people who are about to be sent away into exile for sin, promising them that, one day a day will come when God will have mercy on them and bring them back. In your outline, you'll see some of that. I've got a verse from Isaiah 49 and verse 13. Here God proclaims, sing for joy, O heavens, exalt O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. However, the news is not all good. For although God genuinely is calling them with words of comfort and of grace, they do not come. In fact, they actually blame God. They blame Him for rejecting them and abandoning them to exile, as verse 14 puts it. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. But God does not and will not forget His people, as He says. In verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So if the problem is not that God has discarded, forgotten his people, what is the problem then? The problem, the real problem, although they try to deny it, is their sin. To draw that out from them, he asks them some rhetorical questions. And this is chapter 50 and verse 1. Thus says the Lord, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Answer, there is none. God was not the unfaithful party who decided to divorce his people. And then he asks, or to which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? answer again, none. God has no debts to settle for which he would sell his people. And in fact, quite the reverse is true. It was for their debts that they were sold into the hands of their enemies. It was for their unfaithfulness that they have found themselves separated from God. As the Lord says, behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Their real problem is their sin. And to make matters worse, not only have the people sinned against God, but they also refuse to come to God for forgiveness and mercy and grace. As he asks, as chapter fifty and verse two, why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is it perhaps that they think that God is not able to save them? That's why they don't come. But that cannot be. God has saved them again and again. From the day he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. The day when he parted the sea. when when, When he turned the skies to darkness over the land. He has saved them right up until the present day. As he asks, Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem or I have no power to deliver. Behold, says the Lord, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert, their fish stink for lack of water, and they die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their clothing. He he can save. So why aren't they coming? The chilling truth is that they do not come to him for grace and mercy because they insist that they are not sinners who need his salvation. And sometimes we can be like that as well, can't we? Sometimes we can try to fool ourselves that the things we are doing are not sinful. Am I right? And then when we hear God's gracious promise in the gospel of forgiveness, because we insist that we're not sinning, we refuse to come to him and be forgiven let us not make the same mistake as his Old Testament people. If we are not doing what he teaches us to do, we are sinning. Pretending that we're not is pointless before a God who knows all our sin. Let us instead hear that gracious promise of forgiveness, turn from our sins, and find the forgiveness through the wonders of his grace. And let me tell you that even here in Isaiah, all is not lost. For at this exact point, a new voice is heard. It is the voice of the Lord's servant. We hear him in verses 4 through 9. Here he, the true disciple, does respond. He does listen and obey even though he knows it's going to mean disgrace and mockery and pain and suffering. This is the servant who the New Testament will much later identify as none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you see, as we hear the words of this servant here in Isaiah, we are listening in to the very mind of Christ himself. We are coming to understand just what it means for him to be coming to Jerusalem to die. He tells us here five things of himself and his work. First, he speaks of himself as the taught disciple, the one who listens, who learns from God, and therefore the one who then speaks the Father's words, who who brings the Father's promise of comfort, of forgiveness and of rest. Verse 4, he says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. It is a disciple. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. And Jesus himself in John's gospel says, I do nothing of my own, but I speak exactly what my father has taught me and what of that word to the weary that sustains him what does jesus say but come to me all who are weary and heavy laden for i will give you rest but he is not just the perfectly taught disciple he is also the perfectly obedient disciple this is a second thing for next, he says that he has actually been given a very specific word to obey, a mission to undertake. And unlike the Old Testament people who had rebelled and turned away from following God's word, he has gladly and obediently submitted. Verse five, he says, "The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious; I turned not backward." And what is that mission that he was given? It is third that he might be the suffering disciple, that he would be the suffering servant who in obedience to God gives himself to suffer and does not shrink back. The one who will face not just physical mistreatment, but shame and disgrace. As he says, verse six, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And make no mistake, as we think of Jesus riding into Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday, he knows well that this is just what awaits him there. But even so forth, he is still determined to do so. For he is the determined disciple, dead set on doing the Lord's work, for he knows that Even though obedience will lead to suffering and disgrace, ultimately he will not be put to shame. For he knows that God will vindicate him and raise him up again. Isaiah 50 verse 7, but the Lord helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint and I know I shall not be put to shame. He might recall the words of Luke who says just the same of Jesus saying, "As the te- time came for Jesus to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem." And then finally, fifth, He is also confident. He is the confident disciple, the one who trusts in God, who he knows has got the power to deliver him even from death itself. And so he can ride confidently into that den of wolves, knowing that ultimately neither religious leaders nor Roman soldiers nor anyone else has authority and power over him, even as he rides on ever closer to that unjust trial, the unrighteous condemnation, the awful death. He knows that God is still near. He knows that God's hand is not shortened, but he will save. God will vindicate him on that day when he will raise him again from the grave, the conqueror over sin and hell and death forever. Not only that, he's also confident that on that last day it will not be him but his accusers who are put to shame listen to him as he explains it in Isaiah 50 in verse 8 and 9 he who vindicates me is near who will contend with me let us stand up together who is my adversary let him come near to me behold he says the Lord God helps me who will declare me guilty behold All of them will wear out like a garment, and the moth will eat them up. Let me tell you that this kind of confidence is not just for Jesus, but also for us who follow him as well. Why do I say that? Because this is the very reason that Jesus is on this mission of suffering and pain to start with. For this Jesus is not just the perfect disciple. He is also the perfect approaching sacrifice. And in fact, the very next time Isaiah speaks of him, that's exactly what he shall say. Have a look with me at Isaiah 53 and verse 12. It's the very last quote on your outline. For here God says of his servant, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. He will divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors what was his work what was the point of his suffering in death why is he so determined to ride into jerusalem that palm sunday It is to bear the sins of many and make intercession for them. It is, dear brothers and sisters, that he would take our sins and bear them upon himself. For we indeed were sold under sin for our transgressions, but he came to ransom us with the price of his own suffering and death on the cross. And having done so, Now vindicated by the Father and raised up on high, he intercedes even for us at his right hand so that we who trust in him can be sure of forgiveness now and his promise of glory in the kingdom to come. St. Paul makes exactly this point as he echoes Isaiah in Romans chapter 8. Let me read it to you. He says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What does that mean for us? It means that as we follow Christ, even if we too face suffering, persecution, or even death, We are yet more than conquerors through him who loved us. Indeed, as Paul goes on to say, he is sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He who vindicates us is near we know we will not be put to shame so having heard the servant speak to us how should we respond to him we well, here the lord god himself helps us for he immediately exhorts us and this is in your in your outline isaiah chapter 50 and verses 10 and 11 here he sets before us just two options either We fear the Lord and obey the voice of his servant Jesus, relying on God. Or we trust ourselves, we create our own light, and we reject Jesus and his word. If we hear Jesus' call and obey him with repentance and faith, then we can be sure that God will give us in him everything he promises. His forgiveness, light, and life everlasting. Hear what the Lord says to us in Isaiah 15, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. However, for those who do not trust in him, For those who will neither repent nor seek his mercy and grace, they can be sure only of the fires of hell themselves. It is to save us from these very things that Jesus set his face to come to Jerusalem to die that first Palm Sunday. But let me tell you, if we will not repent and trust in him, his death does nothing for us at all. Hear what the Lord has to say to those who would reject the light of Christ and try to make their own fire to walk by. Verse 11, he says, Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire, by the torches that you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lay down in torment. In conclusion, just two things. First, as we consider today Jesus and that entry to Jerusalem, that first Palm Sunday, let us be sure that we respond rightly to him. Let us be sure that we are trusting in him and not acting as if we can ignore him and disobey him and still be okay. Be very, very careful that you don't fall into the error of his Old Testament people, and for yourself you don't need his salvation. And whatever you do, do not let the devil delude you into rejecting the wonderful grace and mercy of Jesus for the sake of hanging on to some sins that will only lead you to torment. Don't let him make you imagine that you'll be saved on the last day by a mere outward show of religion without actual repentance and faith in his servant Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, let me tell you, even if we could hide our sins before God, there would be no point. For there is no sin that is so great or good it would be worth rejecting Christ and his salvation for. So this evening, if you know that you have sinned, that you are sinning, Then let us obey the voice of the servant, the voice that sustains the weary with a word. Let us be honest before God about our sins. Let us confess them willingly. Let us lay them down at the feet of his cross that he might cleanse us with his blood and then hold us firmly with hands that will never, ever fail. Not now, nor for all eternity, for that is his promise. And then finally... As his disciples, let us, too, take up our own cross and follow him with a kind of discipleship that he has shown to us this evening. Let us, too, be determined disciples, disciples who hear every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and obey fully, gladly and gratefully. Even, even if obedience means leading us through suffering or disgrace even if obedience means taking a stand for God's word in a hostile world that will mock us for it, even if it means giving up the benefits of the sins we love the most, even if it means death itself, let us follow Christ with determination and may I add, also with confidence. Like Christ let us follow fully assured that God will also do for us all he has promised. Knowing that even if we should have to suffer shame and disgrace, yet he will exalt us at the proper time. Knowing that even should we die, yet will we live in him. And being fully assured that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. On the day that servant comes again now as Lord and King of all, clothed in majesty and might, him who loved us and came to Jerusalem to die for us. Let us pray. Most loving God, most merciful God, We thank you for the the wonders of your grace. We thank you for sending your Son to save us. We praise you that he obeyed perfectly even to the death of the cross that we might be forgiven. Almighty God, grant us grace to hear the urging of your word. Give us strength to turn from our sins. Give us the confidence we need to confess them before you. Help us to be sure that we will not Be put to shame who trust in you, and grant us lives of true discipleship. May we always be those who hear your word and are fast to obey it. Good Father, keep us forever firm in your Son's perfect light and the strength of his comforting word. Until that day, he brings us again from the darkness of this present world to the joy of our own resurrection and the glories you promise us in him. And this we ask for his sake. Amen.